It's an honor to be with you guys. Uh, we, have, we have kind of a running joke on our staff that uh, I'm kind of the black sheep on our staff because I am, I'm the only one that didn't graduate from Southeastern. Uh, I'm the only one that didn't go to any kind of Southern Baptist uh, seminary. I didn't grow up Southern Baptist. Uh, I actually went to Gordon-Conwell, so don't, don't hold that against me. Um, I think the only reason that J.D. hired me is because I went to Gordon-Conwell, because that's where Tim Keller went. If you know J.D. at all, he's a huge man crush on Tim Keller, so that's how I got my job. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've been on staff at the Summit now for five years. I uh, recently enrolled to take some classes at Southeastern, and uh, now I'm here with you guys, so I think, I think I've officially arrived now. Like, I'm here. I'm, I'm in the tribe. So, anyway, it's good to be with you guys. Um, the title of this workshop is Developing a Multiplying Culture in Your Church. And the premise is that uh, I believe the reason that most churches don't multiply is that they see church planting as primarily a culture, or they see it primarily as a program that you create in a church rather than being a culture that you build. They see church planting as something that you, that you put on a to-do list, right? A box that you check off instead of being a culture that you build in the church. When you see church planting as a program, then all you see are the things that you don't have. Resources, time, money, all the things that you don't have. And so church planting becomes something that your church puts off either because you don't feel like you're big enough or you don't feel like you're established enough to do it. But when church planting becomes a culture, then, uh, then it just becomes the natural fruit of who you are. When church planting becomes so embedded in, in, in uh, your church that it's just part of your DNA, part of your culture, then you almost can't help but plant churches because it's just part of who you are. And so um, what we're going to talk about today is how do, how do you develop that? How do you actually develop that culture? Uh, some of you guys may have just gone to J.D.'s session. Uh, knowing J.D., they're probably still going, so maybe you guys didn't go to his session. Um, but uh, J.D. in his session is kind of laying out the vision and the values that go into a culture. I'm going to talk about the nuts and bolts. So how do you actually do this, right? J.D.'s making it look sexy. I'm going to kind of debunk that and show you how hard it actually is and all the things you actually have to do. No, it'll, it'll be good. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we, that we uh, have found, let me get a marker out here, is that there's three things that go into this culture. At the center of the culture is a vision. Vision tells you where you're going. Building upon that vision are values. Values tell you how you get there. And then outside of that are your vehicles. So there's some good Baptist alliteration for you. Um, the vehicles actually get you there. And that's, that's the goal of what I want to do in this time, is I want to give you, uh, I want to give you the vehicles. I want to give you seven pieces, seven things that uh, I feel like are essential to a church becoming uh, multiplying church and building that, uh, building multiplication into their culture. Um, before I do that, let me let me give you a little bit of our history. Um, like Ty said, uh, we've we planted 14 churches in the U.S. Uh, that that wasn't always intentional. Um, we got started in church planting, like uh, many churches do. Our youth pastor came to us and said, "I feel like God's called me to plant a church." We said, "Great, here's some money. Good luck. Tell us how it goes." Um, and uh, <laughs> That, uh, we, that was the first two or three of those. By God's grace, those, those went okay. Uh, but about three years ago, we felt like God was calling us 
to more intentionally become a church that leveraged itself for as long as God gave us on this earth um, for, for multiplication, for the spread of the gospel, not just in our city, but around the world. Um, and that's where this vision of a thousand churches in 40 years came from. 40 years, uh, as you guys may know, is about the average lifespan that a, that a church has uh, if, it doesn't re- if it doesn't experience some kind of revitalization. And so, for, you know, for the next 40 years that we felt like God, by his grace, might give us, we want to leverage that as much as we can for multiplication. Um, so three years ago, we launched uh, Send RDU as our church planning center to mobilize and equip church planners. Um, as Ty said, we've planted nine churches since then. Uh, five of those, or I think it's now seven, has, have been in the last uh, 19 months. Uh, we've got three in the works right now. Uh, Brad O'Brien, who's on the end right now uh, of the front row there, is about to plant a church in Baltimore in January. Um, he's doing our church planting residency right now. Uh, we're working on a church plant next year in Wilmington. And then uh, Charlie Dunn actually uh, went out of the Summit Church and is now in Boston doing a residency in Boston, preparing to plant a church uh, in, in Boston, Massachusetts. We're also working on our first replant. Uh, which is uh, going to be in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, you know, the summit was a revitalization. We feel like, we feel like uh, I mean, any of you guys, most of you guys are in the south, southeast. You know how many churches are, are dead and dying in the southeast. And so we feel like along with planting churches, we also need to revitalize existing churches. And so we're excited about that as well. Um, we definitely don't claim to be experts, though. Uh, we're a bit uh, like a toddler. Um, you know, we're, we're beginning to walk. We've taken our first steps, but we still mess in our pants every once in a while. So um, don't hear this as like, this is, this is the experts. We've got it all figured out. But as, as some things that we feel like are, are key and very important. All right? Um, one assumption that is really important that underlies all of this. Um, I believe the key to planting churches is developing leaders especially the lead planter. The most important factor in the survival of a church plant is the lead planter. Now, that's not to downplay the importance of teams. We're really big on teams. Um, The average team that we send out with our church planter is about 25 people. Um, And most of those are people that are just leaving our congregation and going and getting jobs to live in the city. Um, so we're really big on sending big teams, but we feel like before we can even begin with a team, we've got to find that lead planter. And so all of these pieces are going to revolve around developing, finding, identifying that guy. All right? All right. So piece number one is vision. Multiplying churches cast a clear and compelling vision. One of the things that we say is that everything rises and falls on vision. The Great Commission isn't just a command, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. It doesn't just tell us what what should be, that we should make disciples. It also tells us what what could be. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. That's vision. Vision is seeing what, what should be, make disciples coupled with what could be. All authority has been given to me. And so we need to cast that vision in front of people. The primary reason I think that Many churches don't multiply is simply, very simply, because they're not, they're not casting vision for it. They're not telling people that this is what we should be about. Um, you can create great programs for multiplication, but if there is no vision, they're not going to work. On the flip side, 
you can cast vision and have no program whatsoever, and the Holy Spirit will raise up people that are called to go and plant churches. We've seen this in our church um, long before we ever had a church planting residency, long before we had any kind of program, we sent out planters, and that's simply because uh, J.D. is a visionary, and he's constantly casting vision for the need to see the gospel advance, and so God raised up those people even when we weren't doing much intentionally to do it. Uh, we're seeing it now in, in a different way, in that we're, we're starting to see guys that are they're catching the vision, and they're, they're going out, and they're, uh, they're, uh, they're learning how... To, to be church planters uh, without necessarily even coming through our equipping process. We're a big church. You know, we try and identify and raise up all the right people, but we, can't, we don't always, you know, it doesn't always work that well. And so um, we're finding some guys that don't necessarily get plugged into the process, but they're coming to us kind of at the 11th hour, and they've been doing all this stuff to learn, and they're, and they're actually qualified. You know, there's plenty of other guys, you, you guys know, that will come to you and say, I feel like God's calling me to do this, and you're like, probably not a good idea. Um, but these are guys that are actually qualified, and they're, um, they're doing what they need to do to prepare well uh, without going through our, our program, and it's because they've caught the vision. Vision creates leaders. I believe if you cast a vision that is aligned with God's mission, the Holy Spirit will raise up leaders in response to that mission. One of my favorite quotes is from a uh, French guy, named Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. He said, If you want to build a ship, don't command men to gather wood. Don't divide the work and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. And that is one of the things that more than anything uh, defines how we approach church planning, is just teaching men to, to yearn for the mission of God. We've got a, uh, we've got a church plant outside of Nashville uh, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, the lead planner, uh, man, he's just a guy that gets this. He owns it. He has a huge heart for developing leaders. Um, and from day one of planting the church, he just told, he just told his core team, he told uh, his people, you know, we're going to be a church planting church. And, um, you know, not, not knowing exactly how that would work out. And they're, uh, you know, they're about a year in now, so they're about the size of a small or a, of a large Mormon family. Um, and yet, they've already got a guy that they see potential in. They've already got a guy that they're equipping to send out as a church planter. They're 100 people, and they've already got a guy that they're preparing to do that. So I, don't, I, I just don't buy the whole multiplication as something that only large churches can do. And we're going to get more into uh, what that looks like. Um, Last thing under vision is this, well, last kind of big point. The lead pastor must be the primary vision champion. My job is easy because J.D. casts the vision. The lead pastor has to drive the vision. He has to own it. It should become part of what he talks about. It should work his way, its way into his sermons. He should bleed missions and, and church planting. If you're part of a larger church and you've got a missions guy, it, it can't be the missions guy because everyone expects it from the missions guy, right? He would tell you to sell your house and give it to children in Africa. Um, so it, it can't be the missions guy. It's got to be the lead pastor. Let me, uh, let me just share with you guys a few ways that we cast vision. Um, first of all, we, we cast it from the stage, just real practically. Um, J.D. drips it into his sermons. It's probably, you know, 
one, we probably don't go more than four sermons without J.D. Mission, mentioning missions or church planning in some way in his sermon. And so people are constantly hearing that vision dripped in to his preaching. Uh, we do it via video. Um, sometimes we'll, we'll show videos that have updates from our planters. Um, a new thing that we're actually trying is getting our planters to actually lead in elements of our service. And so, for example, we do, we do like a, uh, what we call a missional blessing at the end of every service where we're commissioning our people to go out and live on mission for the rest of the week. And uh, sometimes we'll actually video our church planters giving that commission, and we'll show it to the whole congregation. And that just reminds them of uh, not just uh, the importance of this, but it ties them back to what God is doing in another place. Um, a big, uh, a really, really big way for us is that... Um, we don't just make our planters visible to the congregation, we platform them in front of the congregation. There's a big difference between making somebody visible and platforming them. Platforming somebody is giving them a sense of authority in front of the congregation. And so we don't just put our church planters up in front of people um, and and tell them to pray for this person. We, We put them in front of people and say, we want you to go with them. And we give our church planters basically what we call a hunting license on our church. They can recruit anybody that they want. Now, they can't steal all our elders, um, but, but they can recruit pretty much anyone they want. And they can, uh, you know, they can ask people to give. From the moment that somebody commits to be a part of a church plant, if they're one of our residents, um, those people that are part of that church plant team can begin to tithe towards the church plant, direct their tithe away from the summit and give it towards the plant. And that's just one of the ways that we give them that we platform them in front of the congregation and say, we value this. We're willing, to, we're willing to give away our best people. We're willing to give away our resources in order to see this happen. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, so that's, those, are, those are ways from the stage. A couple of ways uh, of other ways. Um, we cast vision in our small groups. Every, every one of our small groups adopts a church planner that's being sent out from our church. Um, more important, we build the idea of multiplication into our small groups. So we don't just, when we start new small groups, we don't just start small groups, we plant small groups. That's one of the ways that we're just beginning to build this, the DNA, the idea of multiplication into small groups. Um, that's just one example. The end goal for us is that the vision will be represented in every ministry of the church. That's when multiplication is really becoming a part of your culture. When the vision for church planning and mission is represented in every ministry, kids' ministry, children's ministry, college ministry, are seeing the vision for multiplication. That's one of the, big, the biggest game changers for us, has been realizing, um, we say every, every ministry is a missions ministry. Every pastor is a missions pastor. All right? So that's, that's a little bit on vision. The second piece is equipping. Multiplying churches have a clear process for developing leaders. The heart of being a multiplying church is being a church that develops leaders. You don't even have to know that much about church planting. If you'll just commit your church to developing leaders, you can raise up church planters. Most, most failures in church planting, most mistakes that church planters make, they're not, they're not necessarily 
mistakes that they make just because they didn't know this about church planning. They're, they're fundamentally mistakes, uh, just leadership mistakes that they could have learned if they'd been developed better as leaders. Uh, or their discipleship mistakes. Their, uh, their character flaws that would have been caught if they'd been discipled well. Um, a good, if you'll raise up good disciples, if you'll raise up good leaders and give them a vision for church planting, they'll figure the rest out. They can figure out, they can talk to people that have planted, they can figure out how to plant. If you'll just commit your church to, to doing those two things well, making disciples and raising up leaders, they can figure out the rest. Um, leadership development needs a destination and directions. You need to know where you're going and how you get there. There's a, uh, there's a book called The Leadership Pipeline that I would highly recommend. It's, it's not a Christian book. It's a secular business book. Um, it's, got, it's by a guy named Ram Sharon. Um, and the whole, the whole, this is really influential for us about two or three years ago. The whole premise, there it is, of the book is that um, you need to have a pipeline in your church for developing leaders. And that means, um, having a pipeline means that you need to identify what are the key stages in the process um, for developing leaders. What are the, the kind of key stages, piece, uh, uh, stations along the way for you developing leaders? And so this is what it looks like for us. Um, you know, our, our full, first goal is that someone's going to be an attender. From attender, we move them from member. From member, we move them to that's a small group member, so we want to get them plugged into a small group. Uh, from a small group member, we move them to be a, a small group leader. From there uh, to a coach, which is a guy that leads multiple small groups. And so this is where he's going from. Um, he's, he's taking the important step here from uh, just leading a group of people, shepherding a group of people to leading and shepherding multiple groups of people and developing other leaders. And then from there to um, an elder, to a pastor, to a, a church planner. Um, campus pastor has become a, a really good role for us. We are a multi-site church, and so we'll use uh, campus pastor as a place to, to uh, develop guys to be planters. Um, but the whole principle here is that in identifying these different steps, what you do is you... You define your destination, you define where you're going, and you define the directions that you need to get there. So each of these steps is, there are things that somebody needs to, to know, to understand. There's, there's, there's things that they need to, to have developed in them in terms of character. They're going to get them from one step to the next step. And so what this has helped us to do is say, all right, what do, what, do we, what do we need to disciple someone in? And what do we need to develop them in as a leader to get them from a tender to member and then on down the line? That helps us to break up the leadership proce- development process and to, and to have it be more than just this kind of like one big overwhelming thing. Um, it's never this neat, as you would imagine. Uh, it gets really messy. And if you really drew this out, uh, Brad actually drew this out one time with all like the different pathways that it could go and it just ended up looking like a big messy web. Um, so it's never this neat, but you need this because you need to understand where you're, where you're going. Um, I'm not going to go into detail about what each of those steps looks like for us. If you have questions about that, um, we can talk about that afterwards. But let me just tell you really quickly two pieces that we put in place in our church to get people from here to here. Um, 
so these are kind of the two main training tracks for us. Uh, the first one is what we call church playing cohorts. Cohorts are, uh, cohort is just a fancy word for a group. Uh, we just call them cohorts so that they don't, people don't confuse them with small groups. Um, but they are, they're groups of 12 to 15 that meet for us every other week for church planning, training, and pastoral and leadership development. Uh, I have two of those right now. One of them is uh, what we call our basic level cohort. The other one is called advanced. I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Um, but uh, the basic one, are, uh, the advanced one are guys that we see really, really strong potential in. We're, we're pretty confident that those guys are going to end up being planters. Um, they're anywhere from three to five years out. And uh, Pastor J.D. and I uh, lead that group together. Um, and then the other more basic one are guys that we see potential in, but aren't necessarily in, uh, you know, it's, it's a little less, it's the difference between potential and readiness, right? Readiness is somebody that you, you're pretty confident that, that they could do this. Uh, potential are guys that you, you think they could do it, but, but a lot of that depends on how they, um, how they mature and move forward as disciples. So these, you know, those guys tend to be a little bit younger. Um, really, honestly, this is probably about 10% church planning training and about 90% pastoral ministry training. So we're just training these guys in how to be pastors with a little bit of a vision for church planting because once they get into the residency, that's where we really teach them how to be planters. But before they can be planters, they need to know how to be pastors. And so, I mean, that's not anything, you know, if I showed you the curriculum for that, like you wouldn't be impressed by it. It's just, you know, they read books, we discuss them together, and we talk about what ministry looks like. And we talk about the leadership issues that they're facing in the ministry that they have. So all these guys are guys that are active in ministry somehow in our church. They're at least a small group leader. Um, but uh, many of them may be interns or, or staff um, as well. Um, we do have a curriculum. We take them over. Uh, it runs on a year cycle. And uh, you know, there's a basic and there's an advanced year to that, like I said. Those things, those are highly discussion-based. They're highly interactive. It's, it's basically, we want you to read this, process this, and then come with questions, and we just talk them through. Um, church planting residency is for lead planters who are ready to plant in a year, who we feel like will be ready to plant in a year. Uh, it's a full-time, nine-month residency at the summit, after which uh, guys go out and they actually move to their city and plant. Um, there's six major components to it. Ministry. So about half of their residency is an actual ministry role in our staff, where they are, um, they're, uh, you know, they're part of our staff, they're participating in our staff. That ministry role isn't defined as much by uh, what we need from them as much as it is what they need to learn. And so before someone moves into this, we take them through a really heavy assessment process. We identify areas of strength and weakness, and then we'll create a job description for them for their residency based on um, where they need to grow. And so, for example, if a guy, you know, he's, he's, he, uh, he needs to grow in developing leaders, so we'll make sure that part of his job description revolves around, for example, leading a group of 10 or 12 deacons at his campus and just investing in developing those guys for nine months. Um, if he's been weak on multiplication, like he hasn't demonstrated a lot of uh, a track record of multiplication in his history of ministry, 
then we'll really challenge them during that nine months. We want you to multiply a small group. You know, basic things. Um, where was I? So ministry role uh, training. He participates in the cohorts. And then I meet with those guys on a weekly basis um, to walk them through, uh, you know, our, our residency training. Uh, strategy, we spend a lot of time talking about the church planning strategy, developing their team, raising money, um, and then uh, coaching. So these guys, um, you know, besides their ministry role, about half of the rest of their time is, devo- is devoted towards uh, actually uh, recruiting, building their team. They meet weekly with their team during residency and then traveling around and raising money. So they've got a, a fair amount of free time to be able to, to, be able to go and, and do that. Um, now, I know that for most of you guys, that may, be seem, may seem really heavy to try and take on. Um, but... You know, no matter what size you are, you should have some process for developing leaders, right? Even if you're a church planter, this doesn't have to be complicated. It can just be finding a group of guys and investing in those guys and teaching them how to be leaders and and be pastors. You may not be able to take on something like a residency, but you can partner with a church that that can to where you're developing the guy and then you're, you're plugging them into some kind of residency. This is becoming a lot more common, and I think it's a really good thing. For, for planters. Um, for many of them, it's just having the time. So many church planters, they have to jump. You know, basically what happens is they decide that God's called them to do this. They go and they talk to their staff, and they're like, great, we're excited about it. Uh, by the way, this is your last day. You know? And then now all of a sudden they've got to figure out how to raise money, build a team without a job. When are they going to do that? Um, the other scenario is that the church says, that's great, but we need you to keep your full-time responsibilities until you go and do this. And so they're trying to do all that stuff in their free time. So just having time, just having time, just having a church that's willing to get behind them and say, we believe in what you're doing, and we're going to give you the time to raise money. We're going to give you the time to develop leaders. Um, our guys feel like when they hit the ground, they're, they're an average of six months ahead of the average planter, uh, just in terms of where they're at with the leaders that they have in place, with the vision being instilled in the, in the plant and all those kind of things. Um, so that is, uh, that's equipping. Uh, the next piece, we're going we're gonna to speed this up and roll through this a little faster because I want to have time for a Q&A at the end. Next piece is assessment. Multiplying churches know what a church planter looks like. Multiplying churches know what a church planter looks like. Paul didn't just tell Timothy to appoint elders, right? He gave him 1 Timothy 3. And if you're going to be a multiplying church, you need to know what a planter looks like, who he needs to be. Um, that's also important because, as, uh, as you guys may know, as soon as you begin casting a vision for church planting, you're going to have all kinds of people coming out of the woodwork. And you've got to be ready to know who to say yes to and who to say no to and how to guide them through that process. You're going to have guys that come up to you. I mean, you, you've probably been there. Uh, you know, you've, you've got the seminary student that comes up to you that um, is a little overzealous. You know, he's fired up. He's, get, he's got all the energy. He's excited about it, but has about six months worth of ministry experience and has decided that he's ready to be a lead pastor. Um, you're going to have guys that come up to you that um, have already planted a church maybe multiple times and failed, 
but feel like God is calling them to it again. And you've got to be, you know, you've got to be ready to, uh, to walk people through that. Um, here's, let me, I'll, I'll run through real quick what we look for in a, in a church planner. Um, these are our four C's. Um, I think you guys have them on our sheet, so I won't spend a lot of time on this, but just kind of give you an overview. Uh, the first is character. So, you know, fundamentally, they have to have a uh, mature character. You know, we, we tend to get focused on that a lot, but if this isn't in place, then it's going to blow up. Um, they need to be spiritually mature. They need to meet the qualifications of First Timothy 3, Galatians 5. It's not just maturity, though. It's also vitality. Um, do they love Jesus? Do they have a passion for the gospel? Is that evident in their life? Um, do they trust more in the gospel than they do their skill set? Those are the kind of things that you want to see. Um, the second is convictions. What do they believe? Not just do they have good theology, but does their theology move them? Does it move them to action? The third is calling. Uh, why do they want to do this? Have they sorted through that? Are their motivations, uh, are their ambitions um, God-oriented or are they self-oriented? Do other people think it's a good idea? Are there people around them that know them well that are affirming this decision? Can they articulate a clear vision? So have they processed their calling long enough that they can really articulate their vision clearly? Are there people that are willing to follow them? One of the first things that we look for is, one of, or one of the first things I'll ask you guys, who's going with you? You know, and if there's nobody that's going with them, then, you know, that maybe they're not ready. Uh, the fourth one is competencies. There are four main kind of categories of competencies that we look for. First one is preaching. This is the uh, BCHP principle, but can he preach? So... He may be good, uh, a good shepherd, but can he preach? Um, we, we just put a huge emphasis on preaching. We think it's important. Um, we think that a, a church um, should be scattered in the community, but it, it should also gather. And so we really value the teaching of the word, and so preaching is important to us. The second is leadership. Have they demonstrated an ability to lead others? Uh, have they demonstrated a, an ability to lead leaders? Are they a self-starter? Do they start on their own? They don't need other people to push them to, to, to do things. Uh, the third one is evangelism. Do they relate well to the lost? Are they winning people to Christ now? A lot of guys are fired up about reaching the lost, but are they winning the lost? Right? Because evangelism isn't just a passion, it's also a skill. It's something you have to develop and know how to do, and that takes time. And so a lot of guys, you know, if they're, if they're not doing that, we'll, we'll challenge them to, all right, I, spend, I want you to spend the next six months. I really want to see you focus on reaching people and discipling people and then come back and talk to us. Um, the fourth one is multiplication. Do they develop other leaders? A lot of people are good leaders, but they don't nece- they're not necessarily good at developing other leaders. And so one of the common things that you'll see is that a guy plants a church and and they kind of shoot up to about 100, 125 people, and they just plateau. And the reason is that 100 to 125 people is the average number of relational connections that one person can maintain and develop on his own, and they're never going to get past that until they learn how to develop other leaders around them. 
And so can they develop other leaders? Um, do they attract other leaders? Um, as, a, as a planter, you need to be, be able to, we say, multiply everything. Disciples, leaders, communities, and churches. So do they have a track record of multiplication? If not, what are some things that they can do to develop that, uh, that skill set? The key in all this is to focus on uh, behavior and not desire, right? Because the, ba- the best predictor of future success is past success. Um, two ways that we, uh, that we assess guys, we, we do that both formally and informally. So we actually do have a formal assessment that we've developed that will lead guys through. Um, there's, there's a lot of different assessments out there. Uh, some are good, some are bad. All I would say is um, familiarize yourself with some of the different assessments that are out there um, and just don't assume that because someone is giving you one that it's a good one. Um, but more important than formal assessment is informal assessment. The best assessment tool that we have for church planning is the local church. Because assessment is really nothing more than good discipleship, right? It's nothing more than being a good discipler and a good developer of other leaders. And so um, and th- this, is, this is what the local church has to bring to the table in church planning that no one else can provide, Right? You can take someone through an assessment. Usually that lasts a day or two days. You can take someone through a boot camp that maybe is four or five days. You can take somebody through, you know, an assessment retreat. But that doesn't, that's never going to compare to walking alongside somebody for six months, seeing into their life, seeing into their family life, seeing into their ministry. This, this I think, is one of the most important things that we need to recover that is going to totally change the game for church planning is when local churches own that process and don't just farm it out to somebody else because they're not willing to have, sorry, I get passionate. They're not willing to have an uncomfortable conversation with someone. You've got to be willing to have uncomfortable conversations with people. I have to say no about 10 more times than I have to say yes. And I don't look forward to that. It's hard. I don't look forward to staring into a guy's face that's been dreaming and passionate about this and telling him you're not ready. But I have to realize that all I'm doing is helping, is being a pastor to him, is helping him, helping to pastor and lead him through this decision in a way that's going to set him up for success. And so, you know, I would rather have him find that out now than in six months find it out because his church plan is failing. He's moved his wife and his kids to a new city. And all of a sudden, you know, they're alone and they're wondering what happened. So be willing to have those hard conversations with people. Don't just farm that out. If you know, if you see red flags, bring up the red flags. Do it in a way that's affirming. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that you just shut the door in their face and say, sorry, you don't have it what it takes. Affirm their strengths, but, you know, don't, don't ignore their weaknesses. Um. So that's assessment. The fourth piece is cultivation. Multiplying churches raise up planters from the harvest. This is a big one. It's not just enough that we take people who are already leaders and equip them to be church planters. We have to raise up planters from the harvest. Um, 
I have, a, I have a theory. I'll throw it out there. I'm probably not the first person to say this or think this, but what's limiting us from planting more churches as Southern Baptists is not a lack of money. It's not a lack of resources. It's a lack of qualified church planners. And if you work in church planning, um, you know that we're all kind of fishing from the same pool, and it's not a very big pool, right? A lot of us have, you know, we, we may have great numbers. We planted 10 or 12 churches, whatever, but, but half of those are all the same because there's a small pool of planters that we're all getting behind. And so what's going to make the, the things yesterday that Aaron shared about possible is going to be when we're raising up guys within our churches that would not have ever planted or considered planting otherwise because we've discipled and developed them. And so how do we raise up planters from the harvest? How do we walk guys from, how do we walk people from unbeliever to church planter? We're just getting started in this. But it started for us, you know, we started our residency and we felt like that was doing well, but then we began to ask ourselves, like, how do we get a guy ready for residency, you know? Well, how do we get a guy ready for this? Well, how do we, and we just begin backing up the truck more and more and more until you're looking at your small groups and your discipleship structure at your church and saying, how do we reorient ourselves as a church in a way that um, our end goal is, is sending out missionaries and church planners, right? Not everybody's going to fit that, but, you know, how do we orient ourselves that way? How does that DNA of multiplication work itself back into the whole church? Um, we're not there yet, but we've been, we've been fortunate to see some fruit. Um, we've got a great college ministry that is, just, that is uh, really good at discipleship. And um, one, of the, one of the greatest moments for us so far, we sent out a team of eight, uh, I think it was last year, to go to Southeast Asia. And uh, seven of those eight were not Christians when they came to college. So seven of those eight came to college, not as believers, and now they're going out to be missionaries overseas. That's, that's our goal. That's what it's about. Um, and, and this, again, this is why the local church is so important, because denominations and networks can assess church planners, but only local churches can build them. Fundamentally, this is about making disciples. Just, just because someone is a good disciple doesn't mean they'll be a good church planner, but you can't be a church, good church planner if you're not a good disciple. Um, at our church, the main vehicle for discipleship is small groups, and so our, our pipeline for developing church planners flows through our small groups. That means we, we treat our small groups as church planning laboratories, and so one of the first things that we do if a guy comes to us and says, I feel like God's calling me to plant a church, is we'll, we'll ask them, all right, are you, are you leading a small group? Well, yes. Well, have you, have you multiplied that small group? Because, you know, that first year of church planning is, it's all about small group ministry. Really, you know, you're trying to multiply, raise up leaders. Um, and so if a guy can't do that, you know, if he thinks, man, I'm just going to go and preach and people will come. Well, he may gather a crowd, but he's not going to multiply. He's not, de- not going to develop leaders because he's never done it before. And so we'll challenge guys to do that. And our, you know, our small groups pastor is, is casting that vision in small groups for you know, we want you to multiply. Like I said, we don't just start plants. We, uh, or we don't just start small groups. We plant them. Um, multiplying churches multiply everything. Disciples, leaders, communities, churches. 
The fifth piece is recruiting. Let me fly through this real quick. Multiplying churches are willing, willing to hire those they know they might lose. I know not all of you guys are in this kind of position where you, you have the luxury to be able to do this, um, but the easiest way to, to recruit church planners is to hire them. So intentionally look for guys that have a vision and a heart for church planning in your hiring process. Now that means that when it's time for them to go, you're going to be willing to send them out, right? And that's going to be painful. You have to be willing to send your best people. That's not easy. Three of the guys that we've sent out in the last year and a half have been guys that were playing key staff roles for us. They were campus pastors. One was our college pastor. That's hard. You know, those are hard people to replace. And it puts a lot of stress on us as a church. But the other thing that it does is it forces us to be better at developing leaders, right? Because we have to. We've also seen, seen something really interesting. Um, you know, we tend to look at our leaders as like a limited supply and, uh, you know, a limited pocket of people. And it's like we, we just want to hold on to that, that supply. But one of the things that we found is that pushing out leaders creates more leaders. When we send out a leader that creates what we call a leadership vacuum, and we'll see people that we never would have expected that rise up and step up. And I think that's just God's faithfulness to the Great Commission going forward. There are more leaders in your church than you know. God will meet the demand that you have. He'll supply the need. Um, there's an organization called DCPI. It's a church planting organization. Uh, they've done research on this. Churches that plant churches are growing three times faster than those that don't. And so the whole idea that by planting churches that you're going to stagnate yourself as a church is a myth. Um, you may not have the resources to be able to do this, but you can take on an intern. You can challenge somebody to raise support. So you may not be able to hire somebody, but you can, uh, you can bring somebody in. Uh, number six, multiplying churches take sending seriously. We need to have a new standard, not just for who we send, but how we send. We need to stop putting all the pressure on the church plant to survive and putting some of the pressure on the sending church. All right? So that means asking the question, what does it mean to be a good sending church? We spend a lot of time defel- de- defining a healthy church plant. But what is a healthy sending church? It's got to be a, a, about a lot more than just writing a check. All right? And sending a missions team and praying every once in a while. I hate to break it to you, but there's a lot of church planters that don't want your missions team. Your missions team often can do more harm than good. Um, because often they're coming from the south, and if you're planting a church in the northeast, they have no idea how to share the gospel with somebody from the northeast. And I have church planners that just, like, oh, they just, every time a church wants to send a mission team, they're just like, oh, boy. So they've actually found strategic ways to, like, they bring them all at the same time and try and minimize damage, and it's, <laughs> it's, uh, so, man, be, just, just be willing to ask the question, like, what do you need? An, an ideal partner church asks two questions. How can we pray for you? What do you need? Don't assume um, that, your mis- that your missions team is the best thing that they need. Now, missions teams can be great. And it's a great way, obviously, for your people to catch the vision. Um, but do it in a way that helps uh, your planter and doesn't hurt them. Um, we've come up with six components of what it means to be a good sending church. 
Um, the first is finances. So we invest pretty, pretty heavily into our church planners, especially our residents. The second is prayer. Like I said, our small groups adopt a church plant. Third is people. So we send people both short-term and long-term. We challenge our whole uh, church, especially our college student and young professionals, to, uh, to give two years of their life to being a part of a church plant. We call it the Mormonization of our church. Um, coaching. You may not have planted a church yourself, but you, can, you still have a lot of experience to offer in helping a guy to, to know how to do ministry. Uh, networking, so connecting your church plants to other potential partners. Um, and then replication, which is helping them to multiply. Right? And that's the last piece, replication. Multiplying churches, plant churches that plant churches. Um, if you do this, if you build the DNA of multiplication in your church, it'll be passed on to your church plants. Um, we planted a church in Denver 19 months ago. They financially supported our church plant in, ten- in Tennessee six months later. Um, then both they and the, the, the church in Tennessee supported our church plant in Greensboro six months later. And now they're all giving to support Brad, who's going to Baltimore. Because they get it. They don't have a lot of resources, but they get it. They understand what it's like, and they believe in it. I don't share that, you know, to brag on us, but, man, it, we didn't plan that. That just happened. And it just happens because that DNA of multiplication gets into your church, and your guys, they just get it. It's like breathing. And they just do it. So vision, equipping, assessment, cultivation, recruiting, resourcing, and replication. Um, I think we're going to move into a time of Q&A right now. Brad, do you want to come up? This is Brad O'Brien. Brad is uh, planting a church in January in Baltimore, Maryland, and is currently going, up, going through our church planting residency. So I want to get him up in front of you guys as well in case you have man, just practical questions for, for him about what that looks like um, from his perspective. So questions? How long have you been Yeah. It happens ten times more. Than is that primarily through the assessment, or does that happen later on as well? Sometimes, like in the residency or in the cohort. I'd say right now, probably for every fifteen guys that I meet, I say no to fourteen. It's hard, um, but we do. I mean, we do set a pretty high standard for these guys. We want to see them succeed. We want to see them do well, and um, but. You know, typically once a guy's reached residency, we're pretty, we're 99% confident. So unless, like, he just goes off the deep end, uh, then, uh, you know, we feel pretty good about him. And that's why we put so much into an assessment, because that's a big commitment for us. You know, we're, we're paying 80% of his salary as a, as a resident, 
Um, we're committing nine months to him. That's a, that's a huge financial investment. Once he plants, we're committing for three to four years financially to him significantly. Um, so we want to be pretty dang well sure by that point in process. But everything, but, you know, assessment continues even after they're resident, and it, it, it starts, um, you know, kind of from the moment that we get connected to them. So we do have, like I said, we had that formal assessment process. We break that down into three pieces because we just found that rather than just taking a guy through the whole thing, we can do it in a piece. We can learn a couple of things. All right, should we move them on, you know, and then... The last step is bringing them in for a day or two to spend with our staff and our elders and getting multiple people to interview them. They're very pastoral. They're not like no's because we think we're better than you. Um, one of our no's recently has been with a guy in a different state that's got an ongoing struggle with them. Not like I'm fighting this and I've been pure for 12 months or 24 months. It's like, oh, I fell last week. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you need to get cultivation of health in your life and then let's talk in six months so it, it, it's a very pastoral shepherding note that's our attempt is to highlight what we see as a weakness how maybe we can help cultivate that as a strength or where you are in your local church so we always leave them with a, a growth plan for the next six months um, these are things that we feel like you should do over the next six months to prepare yourself it's, it's, we rarely give like a really hard no, I don't think God's called this to you because I'm not the voice of God. You know, it's more like we don't think we're, you're ready yet. Here's some things we affirm. Here's some things we need to grow in. And that, we weren't initially that way. I was a little bit more blunt in the beginning and I've just found that's, that, that enables us to maintain the relationship. And, you know, we've, we've seen some guys come back to us, you know. And uh, I just talked to a guy the other day that, we assessed about six months ago, and now he's coming back and saying, all right, you know, so. You only have one style of church plan that you support. It sounds like, you know, you guys spend a lot of time investing in individuals to come out with a team. Do you ever, like, I have some guys who are in rural Tennessee, and they're going to plant a town of 1,200. You know, there's not a whole lot of jobs there. There's not yeah. a whole lot. Do you also have a strategy to affect all areas, or are you really just targeting the, the cities kind of thing? And um, we try to expose our guys to multiple models outside of the summit, you know, so that they're, they're not just doing what the summit did. But at the same time, we recognize that we're going to be best able to equip guys that are going to plant churches like the summit. And so I'm not, I'm not training guys in how to do house church. You know, I've never done house church. They're not going to be able to learn how to do it well from us. So, yeah, we are primarily targeting strategic cities where a model similar to Summit is going to work. And I think that's where we just have to rely on the diversity of the body. So if a guy wants to plant in a more rural area, like, I'm going to send him to you to get trained rather than trying to train him, you know, at, our, at, at Summit. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the hardest thing for us is assessing a guy that's not a part of the church at all, you know? 
I mean, just because we have no context with him. So those are always the hardest ones to do. But we, you know, we do them. Um, and we've had guys that have come to us that have been, been on the outside. But it's, it's much easier when a guy's been a part of us for a while. And yeah, I mean, our guy that played in Greensboro, his team, basically his whole small group went with him. It was just, man, I mean, they'd been, they didn't start with that vision. Um, but after three or four years of being in community together, and when, when him and his wife felt like they were called to go, everyone in the small group just said, we're going. And so 30 of them just moved. Now, they were only moving an hour and a half to Greensboro. They weren't moving across the country, but they moved. They got new jobs. They sold houses, and they moved because they believed in the vision. Um, we sent 25 to Denver that moved. Yeah, not North Carolina. Um, that moved and planned their lives in Denver. Um, and, you know, a lot of them are college students, young professionals. We are lucky to have a lot of those that are a little bit more mobile. And we're trying to figure out how do we better engage older couples. Because, and, I mean, we need, we need couples that will go with our plants that are going to reach other couples. We don't need church plants where the average age is like 26. And, you know, so... Totally case by case. Yeah. Sometimes it's character stuff. Sometimes it's uh, ministry experience. Um, sometimes it's, a lot of times it revolves around calling clarification. Um, you know, when I, when I graduated seminary, which, you know, obviously wasn't that long ago, but I didn't know what I was good at. I knew what I wanted to be good at, um, but I didn't know what I was actually good at. Most guys, most guys straight out of seminary, they're, they're not ready to plant a church because they haven't figured that out. You know, they, don't, they haven't gotten enough ministry experience to, to figure that out. So we have planted guys straight out of seminary, but they're kind of the exception more than the rule because um, typically most guys... They need a few years of experience just to cut their teeth and try things out and figure out what their gift set actually is. And by virtue of us being so close to seminary, that's, that's the majority of guys that we're seeing are guys that are, are coming out of that. And so we're trying to challenge them to plug in to the church in different ways and get experience. Or they're at other churches, and how can they get more experience that way? So a lot of it is discernment of calling stuff. and But... I mean, it's, it's a little bit of everything. No, no one is the same. And, and that's where you have to be willing to be thorough and to, to walk a guy, walk through the process with a guy. It's a heavy investment um, on us. Um, but I think it's, it's worth it. Yeah. Um, She's at counseling. Yeah, my wife and I are in counseling at our church right now on a regular basis. Uh, we went through uh, three miscarriages last year in 10 months. And uh, part of my assessment is making sure our elders believe that we are emotionally healthy to go under the stress of the church. So that's just a major part of it. God's blessed us with a wonderful counseling ministry uh, that doesn't just reach our church, but our community as well. So she's very much a part of it. Mm-hmm. Are you looking for your church planners to have any kind of theological training like the seminary or Bible college? Or what are you looking for? <laughs> I dropped out of seminary. <laughs> so I can explain that, and I'm going to pursue finishing, but it's not a qualification that I'm 
Guys, uh, and, and yeah, we don't require it. Um, we do think it's good, you know, and so if a guy hasn't had that, especially if he's local, you know, we may encourage him that route, but it's not a requirement. Um, you know, we have guys that, we come across guys that have just been really good at developing themselves theologically, and so we're not going to necessarily require them to do seminary, um, but it is good, and so especially if they're younger, we will encourage them to go that route.